Psalm 32, verses 1 and 2, is the text for the sermon. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man unto whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no guile. And the theme for the sermon this afternoon is the forgiveness of sins. And I want to speak about two things in connection with this. The first place, the reality of sin. And secondly, the reality of forgiveness. Congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, forgiveness of sins. It's, of course, quite normal to speak about the forgiveness of sins in the church. It's one of the main themes of the Bible, forgiveness. It's what we pray for when we pray the Lord's Prayer. Forgive us our debts. It's what we confess in the 12 articles of faith. The forgiveness of sins as an essential part of our Christian faith. I believe the forgiveness of sins. But what does forgiveness of sins really mean to us? And how do we experience this forgiveness? And how do we become partakers of this forgiveness? I will tell you something about the reason why I preach on this theme of forgiveness of sins. As a volunteer, I am working for a missionary society which is called Global Rise. And this missionary society is spreading the gospel through the internet worldwide. And it offers Bible courses through the internet. And people from all over the world are following these courses. And each student who begins such a course receives his or her own mentor to coach and support this student during the course. course. Now, I'm serving as a mentor for these students. And in this way, I am in contact with people, mostly from Africa, who are interested in the Bible. They answer the questions of the course, and I discuss this, these answers with them. And they also have an opportunity to ask their own questions, their, their own personal questions. Now, one of these students asked the following question. The question was, how can we make up for the sins which we have committed against God? And if we make up for them, will God forgive us? How can we make up for the sins which we have 
committed against God. Now, of course, we are together in church tonight as Reformed Christians. And then when you hear such a question, how can we make up for the sins which we have committed? You say, well, that's, that's not the right question to ask. But before we pass judgment on the way this question was asked, let us take a closer look at this question. It's the question of someone who at least realizes that something has to be straightened out between us and God. There is something in between us and God and it needs to be taken out of the way. But how does that work? How can that which has gone wrong between us and God be healed again? And that's the question of the greatest importance for all of us. You know that there will be many people who don't care about this question. People who don't care about God. Who are not interested in God. And therefore not interested in any kind of relationship with God. But, but here we are in church. And I assume that to us, our relationship with God is important. But, but for us, church people, the danger is that we take things for granted. That we don't ask questions anymore about our relationship with God because we, we take for granted that our relationship with God is okay. Maybe at some point in your life you made confession of faith, you became partaker of the church, partaker of the Lord's Supper, and from then on your relationship with God was okay according to you. Now, of course, it is true that the Bible tells us about the restoration of our relationship with God. But it's also true that by nature, we don't have a good relationship with God. By nature, we live apart from God, in a broken relationship with God. And even when we know about a restored relationship with God, which we have received by faith, it's useful to realize what we were by nature. Paul in his letters often reminds us of that. Formally, he says, you were living apart from God. So that's, that's always important to keep this in mind what we are by nature. And the Bible is very clear at this point. I give one example from the Psalms, Psalm 14. In Psalm 14, there is this, uh, this, this, this beautiful picture of God looking down from heaven. The Lord looked down from heaven upon the children of man. And, and, and imagine that this happens. God looks down from heaven upon us. Now what does he see? 
He looks down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there were any that did understand and seek God. So God is looking down upon us to see if, if there is anyone who wants to live with God, who is doing the right things, who is seeking God, who is longing for God. And when God looks down, what does he see? Well, it says in Psalm 14, they are all gone aside, they are all together become filthy, there is none that doeth good, no, not one. That's how our human situation is described, our human situation by nature. There is no one who is seeking God by himself as his own choice. No one who is doing the right things out of himself. Apart from God. So it tells us that there is something terribly wrong in our relationship with God. And it, it's clear that things need to be straightened out again. But how is that going to happen? Now this, this student of that Bible course asked, how can we make up for our sins? What can we do about it? And this question made me think again about forgiveness of sins. Of course, I've been thinking about forgiveness of sins before, but sometimes you take things for granted, you know it, and you don't think about it anymore. But it's always good to think through it again, as if it is totally new for you. So I started to think about this forgiveness of sins. How does it work, that forgiveness? And what can we do about it? Can we do something about it? Or is there nothing that we can do about forgiveness of sins? And it came to my mind that often we are inclined to think that we have to do something. That, that somehow we have to make amendments for the wrong things we have done. For it's, it's hard to believe that we receive forgiveness of sins, such a great thing, forgiveness of sins, that we receive this without any contribution from our side. Hard to believe that you receive it just without anything that you do. And yet, this is exactly what forgiveness of sins is all about. And it's useful for us to focus once again on what the Bible teaches us about forgiveness of sins. And now we begin to think about the reality of sin. I, I told you already about the words of Psalm 14, which made clear that there is something wrong in our relationship with God. Sin is in between us and God. 
And it says in, in, in 1 John 1, which we have read, it says, If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Now, this is the truth which we have to realize. And in, in Psalm 32, we, in the, the words of the text, it says about a spirit in which is no guile. And this, is, this means that, that we have an honest view of ourselves, that we are honest to ourselves, that we are aware of sin in our lives that we do not cover up sin in our lives. And that's what often happens. Very often we try to make sin less sinful. And we do that by talking about sin in a general way, in general terms. And we say, well, everyone sins once in a while. Nobody is perfect. And by saying this, we try to excuse ourselves and to, and to downsize sin as if it is not that bad at all. But that's not the way the Bible is speaking about sin. In the Bible, sin is not mentioned in vague terms, vague words, but it's called by its name. And, and you will find it throughout the Old Testament, but I will now focus a little on, on the New Testament, Paul's letters, in which he often speaks about sin, which have to be done away with. And for instance, in, in two letters, in Ephesians 4 and Colossians 3, Paul speaks about the old man and the new man. The old man, like we are by nature, living in sin, and a new man guided by the Spirit, by the Holy Spirit. And when, when Paul speaks about the old man, then he mentions a number of sins just by its name. Not a complete list of sins because such a list would be endless. But when you look at those sins which Paul is mentioning in, in his letters, you can distinguish three different categories of sin. Three areas in which sin becomes visible. There is first of all sin of a sexual kind which Paul mentions. And then there is sin of a material kind. And there is sin of a relational kind. These are not distinctions which the Bible is making. I am making them now for the sake of clarity. Just three areas in which sin becomes visible. Sins of a sexual kind, sins of a material kind, and sins of a relational kind. Paul speaks about, first of all, about sins of a sexual kind when he mentions adultery, fornication, uncleanness, things like that. And, and what we see in the Bible is that throughout the, the ages, also Bible times, there were temptations of this kind. 
And that's clear from the warnings we find in the Bible against these sins. But especially in the world in which we now live, there are real temptations. There is pornography all over the place, easy, accessible for everyone. The Bible calls it sin. What the Bible teaches us about sexuality is that God has given this within the boundaries of marriage, the marriage of man and a woman. And everything besides that is called sin. And we should be aware of that in today's world. So that's the first area of sin, sin of a sexual kind. And then there is sin of a material kind. That sin which is connected with uh, money, riches, possessions. And you know, we like to think that God is interested in spiritual things and that material things like our money, our bank account, are things for ourselves, which we have in our own hands. But the Bible also warns against sin in that area of of money, possessions. How do you earn your money? How do you spend your money? The Bible warns against love for money. Love for money is a root of all kinds of evil. The Bible warns against Corruption, theft, useless waste of money. And the Bible encourages us to be generous toward those who have less. And rich people, and this is already found in the Old Testament with the prophets, but also in the New Testament, rich people are warned not to misuse their power to harm poor people. So in this area there is also the danger, the temptation to sin, to to put our trust in our possessions, in our bank account. And that's sinful. We are warned against it. And finally, there is sin of a relational kind. And, And I mean with this sin in connection with our neighbor, in our dealings with our neighbor. And Paul mentions things like anger, lying, gossip. Things which are the opposite of loving your neighbor as yourself. There's also a lot of sin going around in this area. Sins of a relational kind in connection with our neighbor. Now the Bible, the Bible is, is very clear about the reality of sin. And in fact... We, we often try to, to downsize sin, to make sin less sinful. But in fact, it's a blessing when we realize that our life is stained with sin. And even more when we agree with the words of David in Psalm 51, when he says, Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Because these words, in these words, David confesses that He not only is doing sinful things, but it is his nature to sin. It comes from within. 
he has the inclination to sin. And this is true for all of us, that we are sinners by nature. And it's a blessing when we realize this, because then we begin to ask that kind of questions. What can be done to come into a good relationship with God? We are in need of forgiveness. Now, how, how do we receive forgiveness? How does it become reality in our lives? The reality of forgiveness. Now, Psalm 32 teaches us about forgiveness. And the background of this psalm, as I told already, is the adultery of David with Bathsheba. And to cover up his sin, David ordered that the husband of Bathsheba had to die at the battlefield. So there were two sins, grievous sins, adultery, murder. And two things are important to notice here. In the first place, it is David who sinned. And David is called a man after God's own heart. A God-fearing man, so to say. And David sinned. And that should make us very careful and watchful that even God's children are able to fall in great sin. It's no excuse, but it's a reason to be very watchful in our own lives. And the other thing which is important, that even for the grievous sins of David, there is God's forgiveness. His sins are not too great that they should not be forgiven. There is forgiveness for David. And that's what this Psalm 32 is about. And then when we read verses 1 and 2 of Psalm 32, you may notice that there are three different words which are used to indicate sin. There is the word transgression, there is the word sin, and there is the word iniquity. And, and it tells us that sin manifests itself in very different forms, as we have seen already. But for each and every sin, every kind of sin, there is forgiveness with God. And, and when, we, when we look again at verse 1 and 2, those three words for sin also are connected with three different words for forgiveness. The transgression is forgiven, the sin is covered, and the iniquity is not imputed. Forgiven, covered, not imputed. It all comes down to the same thing, and it tells us that forgiveness is real and complete. Sin is not just a little bit forgiven, but fully, completely. And that's something that we, we have to keep in mind, and that I want to, that's what I want to stress tonight. Sin is full, sin, forgiveness of sins is full and complete. Forgiven sin is covered. And things that are covered, you don't see anymore. 
Forgiven sins means that you are no longer accountable for what you have done. And you will not be condemned for what you have done wrong. There are some beautiful expressions in the Bible to teach us about this forgiveness of sins. There's first of all this word from Isaiah 38. There it says, it's about God, thou has cast all my sins behind thy back. Now, you can see it before you, this picture. God takes the sins of the people and he casts them behind his back. And they are gone. They are no longer there. And God doesn't look backwards. And there's this other expression in, in the prophecies of Micah, Micah 7. There it says, Thou wilt cast all their sins into the depth of the sea. And the depth of the sea is so great, you will never see these sins again. There used to be this kind of a postcard with this text on it. Thou wilt cast all their sins into the depth of the sea. And on that postcard there was a picture of, not of a sea, but of a kind of a pond. And in the middle of it was a sign, no fishing. Meaning, when God cast the sins into the depths of the sea, don't try to find them back. They are gone. And, and leave them where God has put them, in the depths of the sea. They are gone. You will never see them back. When God forgives our sins, it's complete. God will never hold them before you and, and say, remember what you have done? And that's the reality of forgiveness. Complete and full forgiveness. Your sins have been erased from God's account. Now that's an unbelievable reality. This forgiveness of sins. And sometimes it, it's, it's hard to believe that it is true. I, I don't know about you, but, but sometimes it, it's hard to believe that, that your sins have been forgiven in this way. This, this total and complete and full way which I just described. God has cast my sins behind his back in the depth of the sea. God does no longer remember my sins. But I, myself, am still aware of my sins. Things which have gone wrong in my life, and not only the things which have gone wrong in the past, but things which go wrong even now. Because this is also reality. When God forgives my sins, it doesn't mean that I quit sinning. God no longer remembers my sins. But I myself am still aware of my sins. And God's enemy, the devil, is very eager to remind me of my sins time and again. And whenever this happens, it can cause me to doubt God's forgiveness. When I think of my 
present life and sin which is still present in my life, then it's hard to believe that God has forgiven my sins and that he no longer remember my sins. Because in my experience, sin is still present. And yet, this is what the Bible teaches about forgiveness of sins. Not a partial forgiveness, but complete And we have confessed our faith with the 12 articles of faith. And there it also says, I believe the forgiveness of sins. And and the thing is that it's a matter of faith also this. that That we believe the promise which God has given to forgive our sins. And one of these promises we find in the Bible, in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 10 that we, we find Peter, the Apostle Peter, uh, visiting the Roman centurion Cornelius to proclaim the gospel there. And when Peter speaks about Jesus Christ, he says, To him give all the prophets witness that through his name, whosoever believes in him shall receive remission of sins. That's a word of God. That's a promise of God. That whosoever believes in Jesus Christ receives forgiveness of sins. And this promise is true because it is God's word. It teaches us that this forgiveness of sins comes to us by faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus is the source of our forgiveness. Why? Does God forgive our sins? Is it because God doesn't take sin that serious in the end? Is it because he just overlooks sin as something which is not worth making a problem of of it? That's how we deal with sin. We say, well, after all, it wasn't that bad and, and next time better, we say. But that's not the way God looks at sin. In God's eyes, sin is sin, and sin is worthy of punishment, worthy of God's condemnation. And it says in in 1 John 1, which we have read, the blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, cleanses us from all sins. It's the the blood of Jesus Christ, and that's, that's an expression which may be sound a little bit strange, Maybe we are familiar with this expression, but whenever you read about the blood of Jesus Christ, the meaning is that it's about his death, the death of Jesus Christ, is what you also can read. The death of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sins. His death on the cross was the punishment for our sins. It's like it says in the prophecies of Isaiah 53, The punishment of our peace was upon him. He bore the punishment that we receive forgiveness and peace with God. Now it's clear that God not just overlooks sin as if it is is not serious at all. God takes sins that serious that he gave his son to bear the punishment that we deserve. And to bear it in our place. 
And it's the death of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, which makes it possible that there is forgiveness of sins for each and every one who believes in Jesus Christ. And because such a high price has been paid for our sins, the forgiveness which we receive is complete and perfect, and nothing needs to be added to it. It all comes down to faith in Jesus Christ. And it means, faith in Jesus Christ, that you put your trust in Jesus who died for your sins. And in this way, forgiveness of sins becomes real. Now, there are are two more things that we need to notice. It says in the text in Psalm 32, in whose spirit there is no guile. It means that, that you realize for yourself the seriousness of sin in your life. And that you don't try to excuse yourself, but that you confess your sins before God. We have sinned against God, and therefore we need forgiveness. And we receive this, this forgiveness by believing in Jesus Christ, but this faith in Jesus Christ includes that You honestly confess your sins before God. That's the meaning of those words, in whose spirit there is no guile. And the second thing which is important when, when you learn about the reality of forgiveness, you may be inclined to think that it's no big deal to sin. And even in the Bible, in the New Testament... We hear about people who were living in this way. It's no big deal to sin. Sins are forgiven. So whenever you sin, no problem. God will forgive you anyway. But that's, of course, not what the Bible is teaching us. We read from from 1 John 2, My little children, these things I write unto you, that ye sin not. That's our first calling and duty, that we sin not. If God is so gracious and merciful to forgive the sins which we have committed against him, then this should be a reason for us not to sin anymore. Out of love for this God who has forgiven us. So, so that's, that's our first duty, not to sin. But then John goes on to say, he says, I, I write these things that you sin not. But John knows that when sins are forgiven, we do not stop sinning. We are still sinners. And then he says, if any man sin, I just said, from if, if, if there is anyone who says that he does not sin, that he doesn't have sin, that, that's a liar, he's deceiving himself. So he says, if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, 
and he is the propitiation for our sins. That's great news. Because when, when you, you know about the forgiveness of sins, and, and time and again you see sin in your own life, you should not be confused. And you should not despair. Because in heaven, at the right hand of God, there is someone who is on your side when you have sinned. And that's Jesus. Whenever you have sinned, you may come to him and call upon his name. And you never call on him in vain. He is our advocate with the Father. And he is the propitiation for our sins. Through him, through his death, there is forgiveness of sins. Time and again. So it doesn't mean that we can sin easily. But it means that if we have sinned, we may come to God in the name of Jesus Christ. Now I started with that question of that Bible student. How can we make up for our sins? And the answer is, of course, and you knew that already, the answer is, of course, we never make up for our sins. We are unable to make up for our sins. But there is no need for us to make up for our sins. Because Jesus, our Savior, and our advocate with the Father, Jesus, our Savior, he made up for our sins when he died on the cross. And the good news for us is that whosoever believes in him will receive forgiveness of sins, and this forgiveness is complete so that God no longer will remember our sins. And therefore, praise God for his goodness and grace and for his forgiveness for Jesus' sake. Amen.